0: Hello, and welcome to the show. Today's creative check-in is all about the many victories along the way to your goal and taking stock of those and how to harness the power of not knowing how hard something really is. So as you know, or if you don't, here you go. (laughs) I'm going to be releasing my first single out into the world this fall. And as I get ready to put my songs out into the world, I've been thinking a lot about all the victories and stops along my musical journey so far. And one in particular that I've been thinking about a lot is the House of Blues show I played nine months after I wrote my first song. And when I look back at that, I mean, first of all, that was the first time I really felt like a musician. I I never dreamed that I could write a song. Like I I thought that was something Billy Joel and Ani DeFranco and Fiona Apple did. I didn't think it'd ever be something I got to do. So just the fact that music was flowing out of me already seemed like the biggest victory of all time. But then on top of that, somebody believed in the music that I and my friend Jordan and I were creating at that time enough that they wanted to put us on the House of Blues, one of the biggest music venues in LA. I mean, it felt like it really did feel like a dream, but also it felt like validation. And then the other thing I've been thinking about from that is how by focusing on the joy during that time and not knowing how hard things really were. Like if I had known how hard it really is to book one of those big shows, I never would have gone for it. But because I didn't know how how hard it was, I asked for it. I sent out my music and I got what I wanted in return. So harnessing that kind of childlike wonder that I had at that time, even though I was in my early 20s, but, you know, songwriting was still new to me, so it was kind of a childlike wonder. And focusing on the joy of a situation can really bring you such great results. And the whole way getting there, too, just it feels happy because... You're not focusing on the hardship. You're focusing on how lucky you are to do what you do. And that's basically it. (laughs) So as I move toward my release, I'm trying to get back into my 24-year-old headspace. And I know that if I can focus on the joy, big magic can happen. So I just want to encourage you to get out of your head and get into your heart and to focus on the joy of a situation. And even if you know how hard it is, try to forget that. Just focus on your goal and focus on why you want to do what you want to do. And I promise you, it will be so much easier to get there when you're in that headspace. I'm working on doing it myself, so we'll keep each other updated. Let's get to the guest. Jessica Lignato is an internationally respected astrologer, psychic medium, animal communicator, author, and podcaster. She's best known for her work on the self-service podcasts, Being Girlboss's resident astrologer, TLC's Stargazing, her podcast, Ghost of a Podcast, and as an astrology columnist for publications such as The Hood Witch, Martha Stewart's Body and Soul magazine, and Glamour magazine. Jessica's journey started out in Montreal, Canada. As a young girl, she found out she had something called ptosis of the eye, which made her eyes asymmetrical. While this caused her a tremendous amount of emotional pain, it also helped her to realize who she really is.
1: And I discovered when I was very young that I was never going to be normal, and I was never going to fit in. And because, and it caused me a huge amount of pain. And I really, really wanted to be normal and fit in, like very much. And when I kind of accepted, it wasn't about fitting in. It was just about figuring out who I was because I wasn't going to be accepted for it. Like I wasn't going to be conventionally pretty in all these ways, the the kind of the struggle and the movement towards accepting that I didn't need to be like other people. I needed to be like myself, I think is ultimately at the foundation of, of what people tell me is a rebellious nature that I have.
0: (laughs) That self-discovery at a young age paid off by the time Jessica was 17 years old. She was standing firmly in her truth. She had a shaved head, hung out with punks, and had come out of the closet. It was during that same time that she discovered her passion, astrology, and she has never looked back since then. I first met Jessica when I was producing the self-service podcast. She did an astrology segment on the show and was always such a joy to work with. I appreciate her no-nonsense attitude and her freakishly accurate readings. I wanted to have her on the show because she always brings insight, depth, and truth to whatever she does. Also because she doesn't consider herself a creative, even though she does the most creative things with her career. So she's just the most creative, non-creative I know. From our conversation, you'll learn how to redefine your relationship with fear, the kind of work it really takes to become an expert, how to set price, what ancestral trauma is and how she uses astrology to address it, how to keep yourself from going down an Instagram spiral of doom which we've all been on and how to use your creativity to speak out against injustice. Oh, and one small note. So Jessica and I had to do this long distance since she's up in the Bay and I'm down here in LA. That rhymed and I didn't mean it to mm, fun. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, we we're using this online program to connect versus my normal studio quality mics. And in addition, while we were recording, there was some construction going on in our neighborhood. So suffice it to say, the audio is more, shall I say, creative than usual, but it still sounds pretty great. So without further ado, here is Jessica Lignato. So I like to start at the beginning and kind of like trace the lines of your life. And I'm curious, what did you want to be growing up? I wanted to be a
1: social worker and my family was like, eye rolls, please don't do that. And I was just like, you guys are jerks. I'm going to be a social (laughs) worker and it's going to be amazing. And I did do, I don't know, maybe three, I can't remember how many years now. I did several years of uh, social work. I was not a social worker, but I I did do that for several years and then eventually went full time as an astrologer. So once I realized I could be an astrologer when I was 17, I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I have never, ever looked back or questioned, like, what should I be when I grow up since...
0: How did you have that realization that that was a viable career path for you? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm from Montreal, Quebec.
1: So in Quebec, we have a different school system. High school goes grades 7 to 11. And then there's a two-year government-funded college program called CSHEP that is just like, it's like provincial. It's like every everyone in the province has access to it. So... I went to an alternative C-shop at Dawson College called The New School and it's not affiliated with The New School in the US but at The New School there was so there would be like the the professors from the main college downstairs. We were in an attic, anyways. So the, there was this particular guy, Mike Boyle, and he was the psychology teacher um, in the main school. He taught psychology from a Jungian perspective, and then upstairs he taught an introduction and then an intermediate the next semester class um, astrology class from a Jungian perspective because Jung was uh, an astrologer into astrology. So oh, I taught the beginner class, and I was like, well, shit this is it. Because I've already been really interested in astrology for many years. Um, But you know, I was young, I was 17. And then the next semester, when I took the intermediate class, you know, halfway through that semester, I was like, okay, I'm going to move to San Francisco because it was the only place in North America that you could make a living as an astrologer. It was at the same time that I came out of the closet as queer. We didn't use that word at the time, but that is what happened. And that is right. what it was. Um, And so I came out of the closet as queer. So it was like a very clear, obvious San Francisco was the only place to be for those two things. So, you know, by the end of my CJEP career, I packed a backpack
0: full of astrology books and uh, moved to California. So a lot to break down from that amazing story. If your parents and your family, your greater family unit, were all kind of judgmental when you said, I want to be a social worker, I'm guessing that the astrology thing was also received in a somewhat... No, is that weird? I know, tell isn't me, that weird? Tell me about that. Okay,
1: this is you're the. You're, I think you're the first person to ever ask me that question in that way. <laughs> that would make common sense, would it not? Yeah. Would it not make common sense? That is not. Well, what Well,
0: maybe that's because they really saw who you were. No, and when, no, no, not okay, that okay, either. Okay, Sorry. Go, tell Sorry. Me, I want to just. Tell me. I want to
1: interfere <laughs> with your lovely story because that is not what it was. It was. I had a shaved head. I hung out with punks. I was queer. It was kind of like pick your battle moment. And this seemed low on the battlefront for them, I think. They just kind of were like, well, she's weird and we're not going to get in the way of that on this front. So I was never, the conversation of going to college never once came up in my childhood. Like it was not, I know there's a stereotype of American Jews. I'm not from the U.S., but I know there's a stereotype in the U.S. of Jews being like obsessed with uh, education. That is not my experience personally um, at all. There was never a conversation about, you know, any of that. It was... I hope you marry rich. Cause you're going to fucking need it. That was the conversation. <laughs> Real talk. That's a quote. And so, <laughs> you know, um, I don't in the, whatever, anyways, the moral of the story is that when I was just like, I'm queer, I'm walking around looking like a weirdo. I was a feminist. I was outspoken feminist. And as many teenagers who discover feminism, do, I was very vocal and very <laughs> trying to convert people all the time and like educate them about things that they knew and didn't care about. So, you know, it was just kind of this thing where they were just like, well, she's gone off the damn deep end <laughs> and uh, we're not going to get in the way of that. So there was no, I don't remember anyone saying, don't do this. I don't remember anyone saying this is not realistic. No one ever said for sure you know, go to college or whatever. So yeah, it was really kind of a non-issue. Now, my mom was into, you know, kind of like into this kind of stuff, not not in a in a 2019 way, because, you know, not in a way where, where so many people are into it now, but she was, you know, she had been a hippie in, in the day and she, you know, there was like tarot cards. She never used them in the house, but they were there. But so she... There's in, in the province of Quebec, there's this woman named Jojo, uh, and she called herself uh, the astrology Barbie, I think she called herself. She's still around. She still makes videos. And she, she's French, but, you know, she did some work in English as well. And she was kind of like a Quebec's Miss Cleo. Um, oh. And she had like 1-900 numbers, and her big thing is she would sit on a planet you know, like with a green screen with her little dog. And she had huge blonde, bleach blonde hair. And she would say, I love you and I kiss you, baby. And she would give <laughs> astrology readings. Um, and my mother was just like, go off and be show show. That's, that was just like the thing she said to me. It was, it was like funny and cute and fine. So no conflict. That's
0: amazing. You, you know, something else that I'm extracting from your story is that you're a natural born rebel, but you don't really view yourself <laughs> yeah. as that. You kind of just push forward. There's a yeah. lot of people who want to be more like that, but don't have that natural inclination to just keep pushing. For those of us that are a little bit more shy or more crippled by fear in a way, what would be your advice to harness the rebel within and go toward what we want to do?
1: That's really interesting. Um, you know, when I. Was little. I have I have a a little um, kind of facial defect. I have something called ptosis of my eye, and I uh, basically long story short is my eyes are very asymmetrical, and I discovered when I was very young that I was never going to be normal and I was never going to fit in, and because of, and it caused me a huge amount of pain, and I really really wanted to be normal and fit in like very much, and when I kind of accepted, it wasn't about fitting in; it was just about figuring out who I was because I wasn't going to be accepted for it. Like I wasn't going to be conventionally pretty in all these ways. And when I, the, the kind of the struggle and the movement towards accepting that I didn't need to be like other people, I needed to be like myself, I think is ultimately at the foundation of, of what people tell me is a rebellious nature that I have. (laughs) And it's because I accepted that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be I could list out a huge amount of things that I realized when I was a kid that I wasn't going to be and that I couldn't be that other people seem like they were. And I think that when the ambition on some foundational level is to get likes or to belong or to kind of create something that is similar to what already exists, because you feel that that will give you the validation, then you're seeking the answers outside of yourself instead of inside. And when you seek the answers inside, it's It's terrible. It's like there's a, a landscape of your fears and your hopes and your insecurities and your traumas and all the things is is waiting for you inside. Which is why we focus on the outside so much because it's in some ways much easier. Mm -hmm. Um, In other ways, there's just more immediate validation. And I think, I think that it, it does. I guess it does take some level of bravery. But I'm very pragmatic, and my attitude is really, I want long term happy. And I'm willing to sacrifice short-term happy to get long-term happy. I want, I want to like my life. I want to not feel gross about the choices I've made. And so sometimes that means compromising my short-term happy and my short-term comfort for my long-term happy and my long-term comfort. And, you know, I'm basically sounding like a textbook Capricorn right now, as I am. <laughs> um, but that is my approach. And that is kind of like how I came to it. So, yeah, I mean, and I'm scared all the time. Just
0: why? So, how do? Because another thing I want to talk about on this podcast is how to lessen fear's grip on our choices. Like, it's still going to be there, right? I don't think yeah. you can ever get rid of fear because it's an innate human thing. Yeah. But how do we make it less of a driving force in our lives?
1: You know, I personally feel terrified, literally ninety percent of the time. Like, I don't know how I have hair. Uh, you know, like <laughs> I just like, how did it not all fall out of my head in pure stress? I. In the counseling work I do, I like to answer that question in an individualized way because everyone truly has their own path towards that. That said, for me, I don't have the ambition of lessening fear. Maybe I should, but I don't. I instead have the ambition of strengthening my willingness to do what's right in spite of the fear. So it's not about worrying about the fear. Let the fear be there because there is some wisdom to the fear. And because it's kind of like if you have less fear, but you don't have more of a willingness to act in integrity with yourself or kind of a skill set of using the skill, the the tools and the skills that you've cultivated for yourself, then it doesn't really matter, right? So I'm more about building strength around the fear so that you can use the fear with more wisdom and integrity and intention.
0: Does that make sense? A hundred percent. So you're saying Instead of trying to say, like, fear, you don't have a grip on my life, acknowledging that the fear is there and that it does have somewhat of a grip on your life, yep. but becoming comfortable with it and almost becoming one with it so that it doesn't own you.
1: Yes, yes. So, as an example, you know, I would say, like, I am terrified of public speaking. I do it frequently and I literally lose many nights of sleep on it. It stresses me out to no end. I'm terrified of it. But I do it anyways. So it doesn't make the fear go away. But what it is, is it's not making my choices either. And so when we don't allow our fears to inform us exclusively, if we, I guess basically what I'm trying to say is if we don't allow our fears to be the only informant to our choices, then it works. Now, that said, I mean, like I said, I'm scared half the time, more than half the time. So maybe I'm a bad example of what to do. Um, but that, that's kind of my approach to it.
0: No, I don't think you're a bad example of what to do because you're scared all the time, but you're still going after what you want. Yeah. The, yes. the fears I'm talking about are the ones that consume our lives and keep us from being the person we're, yes. we're longing to be.
1: So, within that, you know, what I really want to say is what humans do when we experience fear is we recoil. And when we recoil, what we are essentially doing is abandoning ourselves. And when you have a scary feeling and you abandon that feeling, you have created a self-fulfilling prophecy. Look there, you're alone again. Look there, you never figure it out. And so the kind of foundational first steps is, and when I say first steps, this is years and years and years of this step, right? Mm -hmm. But the foundational first step is to feel the fear, acknowledge that you're feeling the fear, be like, Oh, this is what fear feels like. This is where I'm feeling it in my body. This is the way that the emotion or the sensation is playing itself out just to really breathe and be present and breathe into it. Much like if you are doing something athletic, you have to breathe into your muscles in order to like lift a heavy weight or whatever. So you breathe into the fear. You stay present with the fear. You don't try to figure it out you don't try to fix it, you don't try to take its wisdom, you don't go into your brain, you stay in your heart, you stay in your body, and you cultivate presence. And deepen and deepen and deepen your capacity for doing that. Because in doing that, then those fears don't run you blindly. Instead, what they do is they become information. So you can start to figure out, I'm scared of being seen. And that's why I'm not responding to emails. Or you know whatever it is to get to the core foundation of what we're scared. I'm triggered
0: right now and I love it. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, that's what we're here for. Good, that's what I love. So yeah, yeah. That's that's really what it's about. That's really what it's about. And I think that when, and this is actually really good for me to hear because I'm having a moment with myself as well. So yes, it's when we can be with the feelings. Instead of abandon the feelings, we develop core muscles that we need to
0: thrive. Beautiful. So I want to get back to your path a little bit. Okay. How did we go from 17-year-old Jessica running around Montreal with her shaved head, being a rebel, <laughs> to moving to Northern California and starting to cultivate what is really an amazing astrology career? Thank what was you. the first step you made? Because I think that's often the hardest one.
1: I moved when I was 19 to San Francisco. I got an apartment and I lived there for six months. And then me and all my roommates left and we moved into another place that I stayed in for 10 years. Um, it was rent controlled. I was very cheap. So I was able to kind of build the life I wanted. And within the first six months of moving to San Francisco, I joined the astrological communities that existed here, and it was majoritarily, you know, straight white people that were significantly older than me. You know, probably the youngest ones for the most part were, you know, ten, fifteen years older than me. But I really wanted to be a part of the astrology world, so I studied with them and I met with them, and then eventually I kind of like drifted away from that community because the they just weren't. My people, I you know at that time, and many of them are still friends of mine and people I deeply respect and care for. But anyways, so I started studying, and when I say studying, I mean I would do two to three hours of prep and note taking for each individual birth chart that I would uh, that I would interpret for a person, and then I would give two hour long readings. I spent so much time studying; it's all I did, and. You know, I I wasn't super fun. Um, I was just (laughs) really focused. I didn't make my living off of it. I, I did it for trade because I didn't want money to come into it because it would have been too much pressure for me. And I was really using consulting experiences as a way to learn, which I felt uncomfortable with, with charging money for my own learning curve. So anyways, I did all of those things and I followed my grandfather's approach to business. So he, he is a Holocaust survivor and he, when, when the war was over and he got to Canada, you know, he was in, he worked in sweatshops and he brought his whole family over and then he ended up, he was a a tailor. His whole thing was, you know, you build a business and you sell to your community. And then your community supports you, and you support your community. And then eventually, when you have a solid enough foundation, you expand from there. And I use that business model. That was my whole business model. It still is. That's
0: beautiful. Yeah. You know, I think just pausing there for a minute—that makes me want to cry. It's like serve the people who have served you first. Yeah. right?
1: Yes. All and always return to them. And always return to them. You know. And I think, I think that it's just—it's not a capitalistic model. It's a—it's a community-based model, and. I'm really materialistic. I love stuff and I like financial security and I have, you know, an IRA I'm really proud of a Sep IRA. Um, You know, like I, I, I like, I like wearing, you know, clothes that were made ethically and yada, yada, you know, all that stuff. But there is a difference between materialism and capitalism. And I, I really have um, an ambition to engage within the capitalistic system with integrity, which means, always returning to anti-capitalist values and making sure I don't stray too far away from them. Um, And, you know, I don't, I live on the grid. I don't live off the grid. I I'm not a purist um, or an (laughs) idealist, but, but, you know, for me, that business model, it kind of like checks that box. And it's, it's, I don't know, the, the internet makes all of that a lot easier in some ways because I can provide so many free services for people and it's just for a ton of people, you know. And it's right. it's a really different kind of thing. But anyways, I've, I've digressed. The the upshot of that is that is what I did. And so at first, I worked with queers and artists and social workers. That was that was it for many years. And then it became and their family members and their friends and their coworkers. And then eventually, I got um, a weekly horoscope in the San Francisco Bay Guardian, which was the free local paper in San Francisco. That was, you know, it was like the progressive one. It was the cool one. <laughs> IMO. And through the column, more and more things happened. And through other writing things. Anyways, I'm a very reluctant writer. So that's a whole other story. But yeah, my career has expanded quite organically over many, many years. And I think that is something really important for me to say is that I started doing this in the end of 1994. And it is, as we speak, 2019. And so, you know, nothing happened overnight. It happened very steadily over the course of very
0: many years. Have you always been a patient person? And if not, how did you push through Mm. that period when you knew what you wanted? You saw the end goal, but you were very far from getting there.
1: Well, I'm a very impatient person. I'm annoyingly impatient actually deeply annoyingly impatient person. I annoy myself every day. Um, <laughs> just why. Um, but here's the thing. I My only goal has ever been to provide high quality service to individuals. And that's kind of it. And to be able to, you know, provide for myself and provide a high quality life. And for me, living in integrity with my values has a lot to do with eating organic food whenever I can, because it supports organic farmers, because it supports my body, but also the world I want to live in. It's So, you know, for me, I have this relationship to financial abundance versus financial hoarding. Earning money for me is is kind of like about supporting myself, but it's also about being able to then funnel that money into people, causes, resources, things I believe in that I want to see the world Uh, reflecting more of. And so I have financial goals kind of that reflect those two major themes. But other than that, it's not like I ever had an aspiration to have a podcast or to write a column or to write a book. I actually never have had any of those aspirations because, well, podcasts didn't exist for a long time, right? A lot of things never occurred to me until all of a sudden they did. And then I just do them. So I don't want to suggest that I'm not ambitious because I'm such, I work six days a week. I'm a crazy workaholic and I'm stupidly ambitious, but it's not, it's not stupidly ambitious. I'm ambitious, but it's not really like I've had a goal and then I've had to wait to achieve it in that particular way. Other than, I guess sometimes I get designs on like, I wish I could write a column for this publication. And then, you know, I try and if it doesn't work, I let it go or
0: I obsess
1: but it's not, it's one of the two always, but uh, I, I don't know if that's exactly, exactly what you're asking.
0: No, I think it pretty much is. I mean, what it sounds like you did that was right. And what I suggest to other people and also myself, cause I'm also an annoyingly impatient person <laughs> is that you focus on your overarching purpose rather yeah. than a material purpose, right? For me, I think that my overarching purpose is to use my voice to help people who feel unseen, unheard, and unloved and to bring sight and vision to them. If I can fit everything into that goal, then I'm going to feel good. But if I'm limited by like, I have to do this or else I don't know what's going to happen, then I'm going to be unhappy. And that's just kind of how life works.
1: I'll just say briefly that I think that, you know, because you and I have creative careers, that's an easier thing to achieve. You know, if I wanted to be a veterinarian, then I would have to have specific goals, like getting certain amount of grades and, you know, like getting into the right kind of school and then getting, I don't know how it works with vets. I, I don't know why I chose <laughs> that. But you know what I'm saying is like, because we have creative careers, we can kind of innovate the path forward in a way that a lot of other careers cannot. And I think that that is worth naming, right? You know, because because I would hate for somebody to hear this who's like, I really want to be a doctor or like, you know, there are jobs that require an MBA. There are some rules and we just happen to be
0: happily in, in fields where there are a lot less. Right. And there are drawbacks to that as well. There's benefits yes. and drawbacks to yeah. everything. Something else that I loved that you talked about was you like material things and you're not afraid to ask for what you deserve. So many creatives struggle with this, with having guilt over desiring material items in their life, or even asking for a fair wage once they've proven their worth. Yep. What's your advice on how to get over any negative beliefs attached to money or desiring material items? Oh my God,
1: I have so much to say about this. And, I, and I'll and i say that what you're hearing now, as I talk about it in my mid forties is not, <laughs> it's the result of a lot of work, just fly. Right. And I would say a lot of things. The first thing is in 2019, there is this very strong culture of companies and brands saying, work for me for free and I'll plug you. It is your honor to labor for me for free. And then they get their added revenue from your free labor. And this happens to women way more than it happens to men obviously and we do it right we do it and i really struggle with this i think it sucks i think it's really deeply classist and problematic and i i, I think about it a lot i think about it a lot because i get asked to work for free a lot <laughs> you know and and i think it's really problematic in terms of knowing your worth there's an element of simply acknowledging that your time and your effort is worthy. It has value. And that is separate from the quality of your product. And I think a lot of us have insecurity, especially in the early years of, of a skill set. We have a lot of insecurity about the quality of our product. And we're like, oh, I don't know if it's good enough, therefore. But girl, your time and your efforts is absolutely valuable. And it's important to hold those two things kind of in, in two separate hands, right? Because the insecurity you may have about the quality of, let's say you're writing or I don't know, whatever creative thing you're doing I think that belongs in one hand because there's something important to chew on with that as a creator, right? There's something shitty about it, but there's also something positive about it. That's kind of wrapped up in ambition and the willingness to try harder. And then there's the part where it's like, I don't know if I deserve to be compensated for my efforts or my time. And that—that that is just where I get real serious, like grandma Lañado styles. And I'm like, Oh yes, (laughs) you do. You Google, you ask around, you find out what the going rate is and don't accept less than the going rate because you are not less than the going rate. And if you come from class privilege and you're like, well, I don't really need this money. I say, you still take the goddamn money because if people from class privilege are willing to work for free they're screwing it for everyone else by allowing brands to believe that it's okay to ask for free labor so if you feel really like you don't need the money okay good take the money and donate that exact amount of money to a cause you believe in <laughs> you know what I mean but but it's really important that we recognize that our time and our efforts are valuable and and I don't I don't know if that fully answers the question but I, but obviously I'm really excited about it I stood out of my chair I I got up. I paid.
0: Oh, thank God. No, I I think that it does answer the question because basically you're giving people practical tools like literally Google how much what you're doing is worth in your particular area and set your price for at least that much.
1: Yep. That's it. And if you want to work for less than the going rate because you believe in the project or because you love the brand or whatever, we all make compromises, we all have to make compromises. Sometimes in some brands that we want to work with, we're going to choose to make a compromise and it's going to feel really good. And that's cool. But if you're not getting paid money, then make sure you're getting paid in other ways. That's a shout out. Make sure there's a hyperlink to your name. If you're writing something or you're getting a quote, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, what's the compensation here? There's nothing wrong with saying, I need to make sure that you hyperlink my name, you know, stuff like that, and. A little bit connected to this, I want to say, and again, this is like Grandma Laniato styles, make sure your whole career isn't netted in social media. Because if your whole career is netted in essentially a temporal thing, which is social media, then it's netted in somebody else's business. And that's not smart. You know, make sure that you are, you have your own website and you're linking back to it, that you have your own mailing list and you're building it. Those things are really important for the longevity of your career. And I speak to you as a, someone who used to have a Friendster account and a MySpace account, and now it's Instagram or whatever, but these things change. And so you need to make sure that your career is really you building you.
0: I did a whole podcast episode about how Instagram could all just explode one day and it has a couple of times already. So if you're putting all of your money into that, like if you're putting your whole career on there, like everything is about your Instagram page, you're putting your faith in something that is transient.
1: Yep, make sure that you're building something outside of these platforms. It's so important. And I think where people get really overwhelmed is when you're starting a new business, especially a creative business in this day and age, you look at all these Instagram accounts, And you start comparing yourself, but it's really important to consider, are you comparing yourself to somebody who is only reposting other people's content? and has a million followers? Are you comparing yourself to somebody who is literally a famous person? Are you comparing yourself to somebody who has a ton of class privilege? And so they have a team behind the scenes doing everything for them? Are you comparing yourself to somebody who has many years of experience? You know, make sure that when you look around that you always consider the behind the scenes, the context, right? Because, because we all have a whole life behind social media. <laughs> and some of us have huge teams and some of us don't. And some of us have a lot of experience in a following before social media. And some of us don't. I think that that's a really important component to all of this is social media. It comes across like it's like me talking to you. And in some people's cases, it is. In my case, it is. I don't have anyone who touches my social media other than me. But for a lot of people, they just have people they pay to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not shitting on it. But It's important that the user of social media remember that it is not an even playing field. It's important to consider that when you're trying to think of how to build your business, how to start yourself off.
0: Right. And I think with comparison in general, I always say comparison is the death of art and self. And I think there've been many things that comparison is a thief of joy. It's so true. It halts us from our own purpose and takes us on a spiral of doom. Yes. So as much as you can do what you're saying, think about the full picture of what's going on versus the little tiny piece that you're seeing. You will stop yourself from going down the doom spiral. Agreed, agreed, agreed. So, Jessica, you've talked a lot about your amazing grandparents who are both Holocaust survivors, correct?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes.
0: And something I haven't breached on the podcast but that I've been really interested to talk about is the idea of ancestral trauma, I'm wondering if you believe in that, first of all, and second of all, if you do, could you share what your definition of it is?
1: Sure. I definitely believe in ancestral trauma. And as a consulting astrologer, it is something that I consult on in every single reading I do. And that is because essentially when when I look at a birth chart, my passion and focus is generally speaking the outer planets. These are the le- less sexy planets and the less understood planets for people who are not, you know, advanced astrologers. So, we're talking about like the generational planets are uh, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. And, you know, I kind of pull Saturn into that and Jupiter as well. So, what these planets articulate is inherited trauma and inherited gifts. So this is ancestral stuff. This is ancestral. It's not just ancestral trauma. It's also ancestral gifts and opportunities and issues, right? And everybody has these planets in their birth term. And some of us have them placed in such a way that says, oh, look, you come from the dump and the dump that was covered by another dump, (laughs) you know? And then some of us have ancestral stuff or, you know, outer planet stuff that is a lot less triggering and a lot less difficult. And some of this is because of our inherited issues. And some of this is about the healing that the people before us, our parents, our grandparents, our great-great-great-grandparents have or have not done, right? And so what this translates to in really kind of like lived-in terms is if your parents were married and perfectly happy and you never experienced any kind of true poverty... And you were never attacked physically in your life, but you have major fears around being cheated on, and you're like scared of your own shadow, and scared of being homeless or whatever. And it just doesn't make any sense based on your your lived in experience. I just threw three biggies at you. You could have one, but you get the point. What I would do is I would look at a person's outer planet stuff, and I would look at the inherited trauma to see. Okay, generally we can like peel it back and be like, okay, the the parent or the grandparent. Generally, it's it can be the great grandparent, but it's in my experience as an astrologer, I'm looking at parent, grandparent, sometimes great grandparent, and I'm looking at what their conditions were, because when you think about it, your grandparents, their childhood, right, is the foundation for how they chose to raise your parents, and that foundation gave them all the shit that your parents got. And then whatever your parents got, they gave you your personal shit. It's a very short line of hand-me-downs, right? And this explains why we have certain fears and issues that do not necessarily match our felt and lived experience. Now, when we additionally have experiences that match those Inherited traumas, they become even stronger, of course. And my experience is that whenever we have ancestral trauma or we have inherited trauma, which for me, I kind of smoosh them together, those are the things that are amazingly harder to heal because you're not just healing your shit. It's attached to a line. So if you think of it, the way that I visualize it is I kind of see the birth chart as a tree. And the mid heaven, the top of the chart is like the top of the, the leaves that the sun touches. And then the bottom of the chart is, you know, it's kind of like the roots where they hit the earth. And then when we go into ancestral trauma and when we go into kind of uh, inherited issues, we are deep roots of that tree. And the thing about the roots is they, they touch and grow into and around other roots. And so when we start to deal with those issues, we're really dealing with the roots and it changes a whole goddamn tree. And that is a beautiful thing, but it's a difficult thing.
0: Okay, that was a wonderful, comprehensive definition of ancestral trauma and healing and gifts even. Uh, But I'm wondering if we don't have an advanced practitioner like you to help us work through something like that, what can we do with our own lives, with our own charts to start the healing process?
1: Mm. Well, I'll I'll be totally frank that I don't really think that looking at ancestral or inherited trauma in the birth chart is a beginner or a hobbyist's practice. And I get, you know, I have thousands of questions in my inbox for my podcast asking, you know, all manner of questions. And a lot of these questions that I get are from people who are messing with their birth charts because astrology is awesome. And they're, seeking advanced knowledge when they don't have a beginner's foundation. And inevitably, they freak themselves out, they misunderstand things, and they make connections that do not exist. And so don't use astrology (laughs) as a way to (laughs) figure that stuff out is actually my first answer if you're not an advanced student or even an intermediate student, I guess. But I guess every generation has a frame. That we use, you know, every decade, there's a new frame that's really popular for understanding why we are fucked up and why we are in pain. And I, I guess I would say that if astrology isn't the tool that you're going to use, I think that there's an element here of there's a value in getting validation in yes, this is inherited. Yes, this comes from family history. But also there's an element of if you don't have access to that data your feelings are still valid. Your hurt is still valid. And sometimes looking for a reason or an excuse is a way to distance ourselves from the pain or control it. And I, I don't mean to be shitting in any way on the pursuit of this, because as I said, it's it's a huge passion of mine. It's something I'm very focused on. But I guess,
0: Yeah. I think I know what you're saying. You're saying like listen, if it comes from there and you can validate that story, then great. It gives you an answer as to why you're going through what you're going through. But if you're in pain of any kind and you're feeling that just cuz you don't know where it comes from doesn't mean that it's invalid. Go forth and do your best to sort through it and get to the other side of it by going through it.
1: Yes, yes. And and this this obsession with why that we have is totally fair. It's totally human. And also, it's not totally useful. There's an element of seeking, seeking a story to justify the feelings or seeking a trauma to justify feeling traumatized. And there's a way that I think that that's a very helpful, useful, constructive thing. And there's a way that I think it's a kind of a trick of the mind. It's a way that we distance ourselves from our own felt experience or try to control our emotions or try to control our self-esteem. And there's pros and cons of all of it. And I think that, you know, if it helps you to really dive deep, then you can ask questions of your family, right? And you can kind of get greater context for your, your felt experiences. But I've never heard of a family that doesn't have secrets. I've never heard of a family that doesn't have, you know, shit in their, in their background. I guess, I guess what I want to say is start with self-acceptance always start with self-acceptance accepting where you're starting from even if it doesn't make sense in the context of your family or your or your lived experience that is a superpower you know it really is foundational to everything you're going to do in life including healing ancestral trauma but i i don't know if i'm taking it too far away from from your question but i've just worked with so many people and seen the amazing myriad of ways that people kind of create shoots and ladders and hoops of fire to hit, to go through in order to accept themselves, in order to give themselves permission to be in pain or to be scared. And much like I was saying about, you know, your time is valuable, your pain is real. You know, your feelings are valuable, your feelings are real. and And it's good to get that validation, but it's not, hopefully necessary in order for you to love and care and provide for yourself. Does that make sense what what I'm getting at?
0: Yeah. And I think that it's kind of like the through line of everything you've said today. It's that if you dissociate from yourself in any way or try to look outside of yourself for internal validation... Things are going to happen that aren't very pleasant.
1: Yes, yes, that's correct. That is exactly what I'm saying. Yes,
0: the more you can get in touch with who you are and how you're feeling, regardless of anyone else or anything else, the more you can start to cultivate a life of peace most of the time.
1: Yes. And if not peace, at least creativity. And if not creativity, then maybe passion. You know, we don't all get all the things. Personally, me, I'm not the most peaceful person in the world. I don't experience a great deal of peace, but I experience a great deal of meaning and a great deal of passion. And for me, that's how I'm wired. And so, you know, you might look around you and be like, oh, I, I see that person as peace or this person has happiness or whatever it is. And that may or may not be your you know, your strong suit. <laughs> There's right. a lot of ways to be. There's a lot of ways to be.
0: And whatever you are is okay.
1: That's it. That's it. And you want to make sure that what you are is not at the expense of your own wellness or other people's wellness, and then it's okay.
0: So you brought up creativity, which is obviously my passion and super on brand. Super on brand. Loving it. <laughs> How can we use astrology to enhance our creative life?
1: This is, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, you know, kind of like getting ready to have this chat with you about, I am just not a, I don't super identify as of being a very creative person.
0: Which makes me LOL because <laughs> you're the most creative. But I love it's that because, way. like, it's very on brand for being a Capricorn, right? Yeah, you're is, pragmatic, and like yeah. the things that you're doing that are creative, you look at just as logical because that's the way yeah. your brain is creative.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes, I was talking about this with my partner, and he was like, "You're more industrious than creative," and that felt really right to me. I I don't really think of myself as creative, I but I'm really I'm really motivated um, and, I, and I want to communicate what I feel like is important. So in terms of how to use astrology, you know, I, I think it's, it's a tricky question for me to answer because I personally don't identify as creative. And so I don't really see astrology as I mean, it is generative more than creative in my hands. Now, in an artist's hands, who an artist who is also an astrologer, it's gonna be a much more creative thing. I'm not a storyteller. Now I know I have a podcast and I write. So I actually do tell stories all the live long day, but I don't feel like a storyteller. I feel like I am communicating as much as possible the heart of the matter. That's to me, it's about being a translator more than a, a generator or a creator. So I think it's really about finding your nature. And finding the impediments in front of your nature or behind your nature or on top of your nature, and then working as creatively as possible with all of that to come to the most sustainable, engaging, and dynamic version of yourself that you can, that you can be at this moment. And in that, for me, being a professional boner killer, it involves also <laughs> being able to understand that not all times are generative. Not all moments are creative. There is no person who lives a life without Saturn transits. And when Saturn comes to call in, we feel depressive. Our energies go inward and external generation is poorly starred. And so, you know, what does that
0: mean? External, external generation. So you mean things that we're actually putting out into the world,
1: things that we are actually creating that are outside of us. I just made the term up, so I love uh, that. Thank you. I like it too. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Very very creative. Thank you very much. (laughs) But
0: you're really creative.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. I want a hat that says that. Very creative. Not creative. Very creative. Um, That's what my hat's going to say. So I really think that part of being a creative person is being able to be present with the more creative you are when you hit those walls when you hit those pits man do you hit them hard and the opposite of a creative person's creation mode is bad <laughs> it feels really empty or really destructive or really bereft and I I, I know I kind of laughed when I said that I, it's not funny at all it sucks um, I
0: mean the extremes are kind of funny because it's like we're so dramatic you know I is, recognize yeah. when I'm in one of those depths. That I'm being dramatic, but I need to do it. And then when I get out of it, I can laugh about it.
1: Well, the thing is, is that, and, and it's something I say in my work a lot, is there's no such thing as a light that doesn't cast a shadow. So the brighter your light, the deeper your shadow. And that is something not to avoid, but to understand as part of your creative process. Part of creation is destruction. Even the most creative person or the most creative moment in your life is going to require moments where you fuck up and have to redo it, or you have no new ideas, or there's no energy or juice to kind of generate with, right? And that's part of life. We're not machines. We're not meant to be a computer that you never turn off. It's not like the fun, creative answer that I'm sure that people would want me to give, but it's my Capricorn realness. So there you go.
0: Well, that's what I love about you too, Jessica. And then that's something I told you when we first started working together. It was that most astrologers or psychic mediums I've met talk in a very <laughs> – this kind of voice. And they're like in a yoga teacher voice and just breathe. And I love that you're just who you are. You're to the point. That's what I find to be creative about you. You said, you know what? Like these are the the constructs put on this particular profession, but that's not me. So I'm going to be myself. And because you were yourself, you've been all the more successful. And it's a brilliant example for all of us that we don't have to fit into the box of what we think we need to be. If we're ourselves and we're meant for something, it's going to work out.
1: Mm. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind. I will say when I was 19, maybe just turned 20, and I was going to those astrology groups in San Francisco, I met this astrologer. And she drove me home one day for an astrology group. She showed up to this astrology group once, never saw her again. Don't remember her name makes me so sad because I would love to give this woman a hug. But mm-hmm. she said to me, "I'm not an astrologer to make friends. I'm not an astrologer. This was before like culture existed. But she was like, I'm not I'm not reading people's charts so that they like me. I'm looking for the truth. That's all I want. I want to find the truth." And that woman changed my life in a sentence because it resonated with me so clearly and it was so it was so simple and elegant. And for me, it just was like, it clicked everything into place. And that's how I've structured my life. I'm interested in the truth. That's it. That's it. And, and, you know, my personal truth is if I put on a wide brimmed hat and speak in a meditative voice, that is, I don't even know. I don't even know what I would do. I would fall (laughs) apart. It's not me. It would, I would look silly. uh, And it's not me.
0: Hey, yeah, (laughs) it's all about knowing yourself. It is. It is. Yes. A great place to get to know you is your amazing podcast called Ghosts of a Podcast. And I just want to thank you so much because you gave Unleash Your Inner Creative such an amazing shout out and some <gasps> of your listeners have come over and Yay! the best humans. They are, but they are. I'm curious to hear about the inception and creation of the show because what I respected so much about the way you made it was that you didn't overthink it. And I think a lot of creatives have a real unique ability to overthink a situation so much that they end up not doing it so can you yeah, take me through yeah. that process and how you just nipped it in the bud
1: sure um so I was working on self-service podcast with you um, with the, um self-service podcast with Jericho Mandiber for Girlboss and when we got the word that it was going to um shutter its doors and end a couple weeks before it ended we got the maybe a month maybe three weeks I don't remember yeah About and I was that. like oh that's sad that's too bad. I really love doing this. That's, that's sad. And then a couple weeks after that, I, something happened and I was just like, okay, maybe I should have my own podcast. And I thought about it for, for probably like five days, like really thought about it. And then one day I was driving, my partner was driving the car and I was, you know, in the car and I like made with a little app made for 16 year old girls. I'm sure I made a like little uh, logo for myself. And I just was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this. And self-service ended one week and the next week I just started my own and that was really it. And I felt called to do it for a number of reasons. One is I loved being on self-service. I loved getting to talk to people. I loved getting to share astrology and I wanted to be able to unpack things. Cause I had a, a real short segment, you know, it was like, I loved being on that podcast, but it was, a, it was a blessing in disguise because I, I was right. just like, Oh my God, I have these big ass wings and I am like, they're clipping, you know? So I, I got to sp- spread my wings by doing my own damn thing, and like a bunch of other things that I won't bore you with. Kind of like came together to support me in finding Anchor, the platform that I publish my podcast on. Um, Same, and here. I just we love Anchor. Yeah, yeah, just love Anchor, love Anchor. And so, yeah, so I just did all these things. I, they all kind of came together, and I was just like, I'm just going to do this. And I was really, if I'm being totally honest, and I, I've said this in public before, but I'm I've, I've very concerned about. Where we're going as a country, and also internationally, I'm concerned about what's happening within humanity at this time. And I wanted a platform where I could talk about astrology in a way that I relate to it, which is understanding the kind of like cultural context for what we're going through. And so that is something that I am able to do on my podcast. Ultimately, Ghost of a Podcast for me is um, it's a way for me to support my listeners, in developing emotional intelligence, which I think is the essential foundation to having a successful life, whatever that, the definition of success is for you. I also think it's essential to living through an authoritarian regime or a fascist regime, which I think, you know, is something we are absolutely at the early stages of. And so, you know, having emotional intelligence means standing up for other people, not just for yourself or your friends. It means doing the right thing when it would be easier not to. And for me, I was really motivated to do that. So again, this is where, you know, I don't really identify as with the podcast as being a creative venture, even though I guess it is really creative. Um, (laughs) I, I really think of it as a way to communicate with people about things that I'm deeply passionate about and to kind of, cultivate community and, in, and kind of connect to community much larger than I could any other way. And I don't love writing, which is kind of sad because I have a book coming out. Yay. And I have, um, I do write a lot, um, but I do love talking. So for me, it's the way that I can express my passion and my ideas most fluidly is is just through the the show. So I don't know if I went off on a tangent too much in your no, question. No, no, it but- was
0: it was great because you got into some other things I was going to ask you about. But one thing I do want to talk about briefly, you know, before we wrap and I don't know how brief it will be because it's a very heavy topic, but recently on a podcast you compared the charts of Ice to the Gestapos. Yeah. And I mean, this is to me an incredibly creative outside the box way of thinking. While it's like kind of super logical, it's also super outside the box. So I'm first of all interested in hearing what you found from that comparison. And then I'm also interested in any ideas you have in ways we can use our own creative gifts to speak out against injustice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, On episode 59 of my show, I did pull up the event charts of both ICE, and the Gestapo. I mean, honestly, they've been on my desktop for months. And when I first pulled them up, I was really just, you know, for me, it feels a lot less creative and a lot more an act of trying to understand where we are, and how to fight it. Because for me, I look at what ICE is doing. And I look at where it's clearly going. And I don't see a great deal of a difference between them and the Gestapo. Which is why I pulled up both of their charts to see what are the reiterations of, of these two charts? You know, what can I learn and how can I use that information to empower communities to be informed, to be enraged, to be passionate and to be clear? There's so much news in the world. There's so much noise in the world. And I I'm interested in participating in conversations in a way that reflects my skill set, which is astrology. You know, I'm not a political (laughs) expert or anything, but you know, that said, I also have done when the Brett Kavanaugh hearing happens, I did an episode exploring the chart of Roe v. Wade. To me, it is a really important thing being able to look at these social movements. And, you know, in this case, we're talking about ice and the Gestapo and looking at them in a way that is hopefully constructive and offering a different layer of data than is already in the noise machine. You know, when I looked at these two charts, at first I couldn't see anything because I was too scared, if I'm being honest. And the longer I sat with these charts and was able to look at them objectively, and I consulted with friends who are astrologers and it, it's just, it's very scary. Nobody's objective about this. You know what I mean? Because it's terrifying. And as I unpacked them, there are a couple things that really stood out to me, but the most important one is the spiritual conviction and ideology that is foundational to both of these militaristic forces. And they are both really motivated towards purity. Now, not my fucking version of purity, trust. But that is what these charts articulate is this vision. That is really backed by belief, by spiritual belief of perfection or purity, and so with the Gestapo that was of the Aryan nation. Now, ICE was a re- was created in response to nine eleven, and so it's inherently xenophobic. You know, I M O, and please don't at me if you disagree with me. Let's just agree to disagree if you disagree with me. Th- that is my take on ICE. And when I look at the chart, I see that its very creation is. Inherently, like the, the xenophobia is written in, but it's written in from a spiritual perspective. And remember that George Bush is, is the guy who created this, who created ICE, not Trump. And he's a very, very religious person. I, what I really came to in the episode that I did, where I actually unpacked this. So, if you are interested in this topic, you know, please do, do go over to listen to it. Is really that there's no reforming ICE, just like there was no reforming Gestapo. It's, it's not, it's not uh It's not for the people. It's only against the people. And it needs to be dismantled and destroyed. There is no reforming ICE. There is no collaborating with ICE. And when the Democrats, you know, sign bills to give them four billion dollars or whatever the hell bullshit they do, that is an act of terrorism. It's it's we need to understand that it is an act of terrorism. There is no way to fund ICE and not be funding a war on humanity. And I was asked not long ago on you know, I was talking to somebody, and she asked me like, "Oh, are you comfortable? You must be really comfortable being provocative?" I'm not actually that comfortable being provocative, and I understand objectively that some people will think what I'm saying is provocative. To me, it is common sense. To me, it is just clear as day. And who knows, maybe I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I read enough news and I know enough about history to to see that, that where we're going is really unacceptable and scary.
0: Yeah. And that it's important to use your voice or whatever creative yes. gifts that you do have to speak out against it in whatever way you can muster. Like I sometimes don't feel smart enough, to be honest with you, to talk about these things at length, but it's really important to educate yourself as much as you possibly can and put your voice out there as much as you possibly can to speak for those that don't have voices yeah
1: and if you and and this is my real belief if you're not educated on a topic or you're not confident you don't need to speak on it you need to maybe retweet repost signal boost the people who can talk about it we don't need to be experts on everything in order to speak out we can amplify the voices of the people who are experts on things. And I think that's a really important advantage of social media. I think also knowing that in a capitalistic system, where you put your money is where, you ba- where you're backing people. If that means, you know, you have to buy a bed frame and you were thinking about getting it from a company who's profiting from the detention centers. Yeah, don't do it. Find somewhere else. You know, where you spend your money is a form of activism, or complacency. So there—that that is a way of participating. And then also, if you have 50 cents or $50 a month or whatever it is, you can back organizations that are on the front lines of these fights, like the ACLU, who's constantly in the courts <laughs> with, you know, Trump and, and ICE and all these kinds of things. So I think that that it is important as creative people to recognize where you are strong and to own where you're not, because there's some things like I I can't facilitate a deep in-depth political conversation because that's not my field of expertise. And so I've leaned on what is my field of expertise, which is counseling people on building emotional intelligence and connecting it to issues of social justice. And we all have a thing that we are gifted in or that we are good at or we are skilled at or something. So do that, you know, do that thing. You don't have to do anyone's thing, but your thing. And you don't have to do it seven days a week, but not doing anything, unfortunately, is the kind of participation that allows for the worst of society to flourish.
0: Very true. Yeah. And then my final question. So if you and your little self, let's put it this way. If you and your little self were standing in the same room and you're looking at each other, what do you think your younger self would say to you now and why? It's really interesting. Hmm. Damn.
1: I don't know.
0: How about this one? What would you say to your younger self and why?
1: Hmm. Huh. Shit. Hold please. Oh man, I had a really fucked up childhood, so it's a little bit of a hard <laughs> question for me to answer. My poor childhood self, she was not thriving. I would say, god damn it, hold please. Let me li- really think about this and give you um a non-comedic answer. Hold please. I don't know. I mean, I don't recognize who I was as a kid in many ways to who I am now. And what would I say? I guess I would say, uh, huh.
0: I mean, it, there doesn't have to be a correct answer. It could be whatever first comes to your head. A lot of people say it's it's going to be okay, or don't worry so much or things like that, you know? Sure. I mean, those thoughts kind of came
1: through my mind, but the truth is, is it okay? Is it Okay. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, you're asking me this at a really tricky time because when I was a kid, every Friday night, my grandfather we would go over to my grandparents' house to have Shabbos dinner, you know, Friday night dinner. And every Friday night, my grandfather would take us downstairs to his little, like, he was a tailor, so he had a little sew room. He'd take us downstairs and we'd tell stories about the Holocaust. And we'd tell stories about what it was like in the camps. And you could imagine how much I enjoyed it. It was fun. But, you know, and so I like came up with ideas about how I would survive if I was in that situation because I was having to consider such things. And so when you ask me this question right now, given what's happening in the world, I have a hard time saying it's going to be okay um, because that's kind of where my head goes. I don't know how useful this is for your podcast. It's not super creative. It's not a great answer, but that's my answer. I'm sticking okay. with it.
0: I appreciate Your candor, because a lot of people would try to just say something inspirational. And I appreciate that you're not feeling that right now and you're honest about it. It's not, it's, I'm not there yet. Like where I'm able to like be that way. Like, I think I still feel like if someone expects a certain thing out of me, I need to fulfill that. And I think it's actually a great example. And I think that there's something to be learned there.
1: Yeah, it's, I I think it's, I think. I don't know. I, it's like that That I could spend like an hour trying to find an answer for you and it wouldn't it wouldn't be true.
0: Like it wouldn't, you know. So, yes. No, I think that truth is always better, even if it's hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very
0: much. Thank you so much for listening and to my amazing guest, Jessica Lignato. For more info on Jessica, follow her at Jessica underscore lenato. That's L A. N-Y-A-D-O-O. You can also check out our website, lovelenato.com, and listen to her podcast. It's awesome. Ghosts of a podcast, wherever good podcasts are found. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full, And thank you again for listening and for being part of this creative community. If you like the show, the best way to share that is by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, following on Spotify. And if you really like it, you can take a screenshot of yourself listening, share it to your Instagram stories, tag at Unleash Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost it to show you my gratitude. My wish for you this week is that you follow Jessica's example. Don't give the answer that's expected of you or live a life that is in any way for the comfort of others. Instead, stay in integrity with yourself and choose truth, even when it's uncomfortable. I will work on this too. I believe in you. Talk next week.